Hey, it's Shannon Ballard. Your Southern Mysteries is an independent podcast. It's made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. So if you'd like to help, you can join Southern Mysteries on Patreon and you get a little something in return. You can hear more than 60 episodes in the Southern Mysteries archive, and you also have an option to support the show and hear exclusive monthly episodes that are new this year called The Lesser Knowns, stories of lesser-known figures related to major historical events. Join me on Patreon today and catch up on all the episodes you haven't heard at patreon.com slash southernmysteries. Throughout history, there have been significant events overshadowed by larger events. Well-known 20th century writers, C.S. Lewis and Aldous Huxley, died the same day in 1963. Their status in the literary world and the coincidence of their passing on November 22nd of that year is the kind of story that normally would have garnered a lot of attention. But the news of their death wasn't reported for days because of an event that happened the day they died that was front page news around the world. The assassination of President John F. Kennedy. In the spring of 1865, a maritime disaster on the Mississippi River was overshadowed by greater tragedy and an unsettled nation. On April 27th, the SS Sultana exploded on the Mississippi seven miles north of Memphis, Tennessee. This was the worst maritime disaster in U.S. history. But the news of the day was overshadowed by events that captivated a nation in mourning. The Civil War had just recently ended on April 9th, and it had taken its toll, nearly 700,000 lives lost. President Lincoln had been assassinated, and the day before the Sultana disaster, John Wilkes Booth, the man who killed Lincoln and fled, had been tracked down and killed in Virginia. With understandable attention on a nation torn apart by war and shocked by Lincoln's death, the circumstances surrounding the Sultana tragedy and the death of so many men who had made it through the Civil War and were finally heading home to their families. Well, it was lost in the chaos. Welcome to Southern Mysteries, exploring the history and mysteries of the American South. I'm your host, Shannon Ballard. This is the mystery of the Sultana Catastrophe on the Mississippi River. The SS Sultana was a 260-foot-long wooden steamboat launched out of Cincinnati, Ohio on January 3, 1863. The steamer was used for the cotton trade on the Lower Mississippi River. With a registered capacity of 1,719 tons, Sultana carried a crew of 85 men and had a regular cotton route between St. Louis and New Orleans. The steamboat was often commissioned to carry troops during the Civil War. Sultana was built for speed and capacity, with her side-mounted paddle wheels driven by four boilers with tubes that ran from the firebox to the chimney. 
using boilers came with constant risk because the water in the tube system had to be maintained and balanced at all times. Even a slight decrease in water levels could cause hot spots and increase the risk of an explosion on a steamboat constructed of wood with boilers covered with highly flammable paint. When the Sultana departed St. Louis under the command of Captain James Mason on April 13, 1865, she was headed down the Mississippi on her regular route, bound for New Orleans. By the time she reached Cairo, Illinois, word reached Captain Mason of President Abraham Lincoln's assassination. Knowing communication in southern states was virtually shut off due to the sabotage of telegraph lines, Captain Mason found as many newspapers as he could and set out on his southern route, spreading the news of the tragedy. The nation seemed numb to death after so many lives lost in the war that had formally ended on April 9th when Robert E. Lee surrendered to Ulysses S. Grant at Appomattox. Under the terms of surrender, thousands of prisoners of war were to be freed and transported home as soon as possible. An estimated 5,500 Union prisoners of war had been held between POW camps in Alabama and Georgia. They were transported to Vicksburg, where they were held in a small camp until arrangements could be made for their transportation north. To encourage captains along the Mississippi River to help, the U.S. government offered to pay non-military boat owners $5 per enlisted man and $10 per officer in return for transportation up the Mississippi River. The Henry Ames would be the first boat to leave Vicksburg with 300 freed prisoners of war, followed by the Olive Branch that transported 700. When the Sultana reached Vicksburg, Mississippi, the chief quartermaster, Lieutenant Colonel Reuben Hatch, arranged a meeting with Captain Mason. He explained the offer from the government and made Mason an offer he knew he couldn't refuse. Hatch knew Captain Mason had some financial issues, needed money, because a year earlier, the captain sold most of his interest in the Sultana to his first clerk, William Gambrell, and a few other men. Hatch proposed a guarantee of a full load of prisoners for Captain Mason if he agreed to a kickback. Hatch would get $1.15 for each passenger assigned to the Sultana. Despite the Sultana being designed with a capacity of 376 passengers, Captain Mason agreed to transport 1,400 men. The deal was finalized and Captain Mason left Vicksburg to complete the Sultana's run to New Orleans. When the Sultana departed New Orleans on April 21st for the return trip to Vicksburg, she carried 85 crew members, some livestock, and 70 paying passengers. Just south of Vicksburg, she ran into some trouble. One of the boilers sprang a leak. But the steamer was able to make it slowly into Vicksburg. A mechanic brought in to repair the boiler told Captain Mason he needed to cut out and replace a ruptured seam. Knowing the repair would take a few days and unwilling to risk 
Lieutenant Colonel Hatch taking his proposal to another ship in port, Captain Mason convinced his chief engineer to get the mechanic to make temporary repairs. With the guarantee from Mason, the replacement would be made when Sultana returned to St. Louis. As the mechanic worked on that temporary fix of the boiler, Union prisoners of war were transported and loaded onto the steamboat. When Hatch and Mason made their deal, Mason agreed to take on 1,400 prisoners. But a Union officer overseeing the passenger surrender and transport ignored what was believed to be an error in the parole books that listed the prisoners. Captain George Williams was a 13-year Army veteran with a long history of mistreatment of soldiers and disregard for the safety and well-being of prisoners of war. In 1864, Williams was dismissed from service because of excessive cruelty to prisoners and gross neglect of duty. Union General Ulysses S. Grant wrote testimonials that helped persuade the Army to reverse Williams' dismissal. So a man who would not have been in Vicksburg was there that day and knowingly agreed to place more men on the Sultana than intended. He was assured it was less than 1,500, which was already well over the design capacity of the boat. He and Captain Mason moved forward with the plan, despite knowing that when the Sultana departed Vicksburg on April 24th, there were two other boats in port, the Pauline Carroll and Lady Gay, that had no freed prisoners on board. Now, because of the confusion with records, we don't know the exact number of people on board the Sultana when it departed Vicksburg, but we know it was at least 1,960 prisoners, along with 22 guards, 70 paying passengers, and 85 crew members. This means on board the Sultana, that was designed to carry a capacity of 376 people, there were at least 2,137 souls. The effects of that overcrowding were felt before Sultana pulled out of Vicksburg, with the decks sagging so severely, heavy wooden beams had to be placed to support the weight of those on board. James Brady, a former POW who was on board the Sultana, described the journey as one akin to being packed in more like hogs than men. First clerk, William Gambrell, warned the crew that any sudden movement of the overcrowded passengers could cause the deck to collapse, and too many men crowding to one side could cause the boat to capsize. Still, Captain Mason pressed on. The Sultana departed Vicksburg and spent two days heading north, fighting against the turbulent current of the Mississippi River that was overflowing due to the worst spring floods in the history of the mighty Mississippi. The Sultana was photographed when it made a stop in Helena, Arkansas, then continued upriver to Memphis, Tennessee. Just after midnight on April 27th, Sultana pulled out of Memphis and traveled upriver. Around 2 a.m., the Sultana was about seven miles north of Memphis, 
where the Mississippi River was just over three miles wide. Passengers were asleep on deck as the crew kept watch over the boilers. Then, suddenly, one of Sultana's boilers exploded. Within seconds, two other boilers exploded and caused what witnesses described on the Arkansas side of the river as a noise of 100 earthquakes. The damage was catastrophic. Steam and shrapnel from the boilers tore through the overcrowded deck and killed hundreds within moments of the initial blast. The force sent hundreds more into the water as it destroyed the pilot house and removed any hope of steering the steamboat. More passengers were trapped when the deck collapsed. Within 20 minutes of the first explosion, the Sultana was completely engulfed in flames and began to drift downriver. Survivors panicked and jumped into the frigid Mississippi River to escape the fire. They were in shock, and many of these freed prisoners died soon after they hit the water because they had been so weakened by illnesses that were common in POW camps and the long journey to get to Vicksburg for what they believed to be their transport home. They either didn't have the strength to swim or did not know how to swim. Some men were lucky enough to grab wreckage to cling to in the water, while others used livestock that had been flung into the Mississippi from the Sultana. They held on as they waited and hoped for any chance to make it out of this alive. One survivor recounted he was able to hold on to a dead mule for hours until he was rescued. Around 2.30 a.m., a group of survivors that had floated downriver were heard calling for help, and they were rescued by steamboats and U.S. warships docked in Memphis. Those warships then headed out on a rescue mission. Around the same time, the steamer Bostonia II was traveling downriver and passed the site of the explosion. The crew was able to rescue nearly 100 survivors. Every ship making a run down the Mississippi in the area of the blast did what they could to help. Each crew that stepped up to help in the search were told to be as quiet as possible so they could hear victims screaming for help. The USS Tyler was one of the warships that helped with these rescue efforts. The ship's log included an account from a sailor who wrote, Of all the sounds and noises I ever heard, that was the most sorrowful. Some men cursing, calling for help, and shrieking. I will never forget those awful sounds. A large number of men who survived the initial blast and went into the water ended up on the Arkansas side of the Mississippi River. The Civil War had ended just weeks before this disaster. The Memphis side of the Mississippi was under Union control, while the Arkansas side was under Confederate control. The survivors who were in the water wore Union uniforms. Newspaper accounts tell of a Confederate soldier, Franklin Barton, 
part of Barton's mission was with the 23rd Arkansas Cavalry. He raided Union ships up and down the Mississippi. Choosing to take part in rescue efforts was poignant because a few weeks earlier, he might have been attacking the Sultana. Franklin Barton was responsible for saving several Union soldiers. And there are more stories like this of Confederates helping save Union soldiers. Frank Fogelman and his sons who fought for the Confederacy were working on the Arkansas side of the Mississippi and saw the explosion. When the boat drifted and turned, they could see flames and they heard men screaming for help. They realized people were trapped and immediately went to work to help. With no boats to row out to the Sultana, they made a makeshift raft out of logs and headed out to rescue anyone they could. They saved 25 men, and the Fogelmans opened up their home to these Union survivors. Tragically, by sunrise, nearly 1,800 men were dead or missing and presumed dead, including Captain Mason. Now, the estimated number of passengers on the Sultana the day it left Vicksburg, and therefore the number of those who died or survived, has changed several times. It ebbs and flows as much as the Mississippi River, as researchers continue to unearth records. But that number, 1,800, if true, that loss of life exceeds the 1,500 souls killed as a result of the Titanic disaster in 1912. Victims of the Sultana were killed by fire, steam from the boilers, hypothermia in the cold Mississippi River, or they drowned. Rescue efforts turned to recovery the morning after the explosion and continued for months as bodies of victims were discovered as far downriver as Vicksburg. For those considered lucky enough to have survived, there was the question of how to care for them. So many were injured and needed medical attention. Hundreds more needed housing and food until they could be transported home. Memphis took on hundreds of injured survivors due to the hospitals established in the city when the Union had captured Memphis. And there was overwhelming suffering in those hospital wards. Sergeant William Fies of the 64th Ohio Infantry described the sights and sounds on his ward. He wrote, I was placed in a ward with quite a number who were severely scalded, otherwise badly injured, and such misery and intense suffering as I witnessed while there is beyond my power to describe. The agonizing cries and groans of the burned and scalded were heartrending and almost unendurable. But in most cases, the suffering was of short duration, as most of them were relieved by death in a few hours. Just as Confederate families on the Arkansas side of the Mississippi helped Union soldiers, the residents of Memphis showed great compassion and care for Sultana victims. There was a benefit concert for survivors 
and families in Memphis whose own loved ones may have been shooting at these men weeks earlier, well, they opened their homes to survivors who needed to recuperate. There was this unexpected spirit of unity as people rallied to care for Sultana victims. But newspapers, who did feature the story on their front page, led with headlines such as, It was murder, and immediately theorized the transport of Union soldiers had been sabotaged by angry Confederates who refused to admit defeat. Within hours of the Sultana disaster, a military commission was ordered to investigate the tragedy. The commission initially attempted to discount overcrowding, but Brigadier General William Hoffman, the U.S. Army Commissary General of Prisoners, was critical of the military's role in the disaster. He said it was clear the shipment of such a large number of troops on one ship was under the circumstances unnecessary unjustifiable, and great outrage on the troops. The official cause of the Sultana disaster backed up Hoffman's criticism. It was determined the mismanagement of water levels in the boilers and the boat being severely overloaded and top-heavy led to the explosions that killed so many. Despite this finding, no one was ever held accountable for the worst maritime disaster in U.S. history. Captain Frederick Speed, the Union officer who ordered nearly 2,000 prisoners into Vicksburg from their prison camps in Georgia and Alabama, faced court-martial and was quickly found guilty of grossly overcrowding Sultana. But his conviction was quickly overturned by the Judge Advocate General of the United States Army, based on Speed not being present when soldiers were loaded on board Sultana. Lieutenant Colonel Reuben Hatch was relieved of his chief quartermaster duties in June 1865, but he never faced a court-martial hearing. The man whose greed had led to the disaster boarded a steamer in Vicksburg and headed north. When he boarded the steamer, he placed $8,500 in the safe stating it was government money that needed to be secured. During the voyage, a man was caught robbing that safe. When he was found, he had in his possession all of the contents of the safe, save $8,500. And that money was never found. The government ruled Hatch violated military regulations by removing the funds from the department, and his military career came to an end. With no one ever held responsible for the Sultana tragedy, conspiracy theories about the explosion ran wild, especially in newspapers up north where the loved ones of Union soldiers on board were convinced it had to be sabotage. A businessman named William Streeter claimed two years after the Sultana tragedy, one of his former business partners, a man named Robert Loudon, confessed he sabotaged Sultana with a coal torpedo that he planted on board. And Streeter believed Loudon because the Confederate veteran was a known saboteur who had used a coal torpedo to burn the Union steamboat Ruth at Cairo, Illinois in 1863. 
Years later, an ex-con who had been on the Sultana the day of the explosion claimed he was responsible for the disaster. But 2nd Lieutenant James Worthington Barrett could never explain how he calls the Sultana to explode or explain a motive as to why he would want to blow up the boat while he was on board. There were other claims of sabotage that were quickly investigated and found to be false. The military investigation into the explosion, along with countless experts and historians who have investigated the Sultana tragedy, have overwhelmingly agreed. The Sultana disaster was caused by the buildup of steam in those boilers and overcrowding of the boat, not sabotage, meaning this was a tragedy that could have been prevented, if not for greed. In the days and weeks after this disaster, there was no way to identify a great number of the passengers who perished. A majority were buried as unknown soldiers at Fort Pickering Cemetery on the south shore of Memphis. Their bodies were moved a year later when Memphis National Cemetery was established on the northeast side of the city. We do know the soldiers on board the Sultana were from Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, Kentucky, and East Tennessee. All of them were from regions that had fought for the Union and suffered in POW camps. The survivors formed the National Sultana Survivors Association and gathered as often as they could on April 27th to remember those who never came home. Private Charles Eldridge of the 3rd Tennessee Cavalry Regiment was the last survivor. He died in 1941 at the age of 96. These men who gathered to remember those lost and tried to make sense of what happened to them petitioned the government to build a memorial to honor their fallen comrades. But it never happened in their lifetime which caused many of the survivors who had fought for their country in the Civil War to feel betrayed and feel great resentment toward the government. One of those survivors, James Kimberlin, spoke to that resentment, writing, The men who had endured the torments of a hell on earth, starved, famished from thirst, eaten with vermin, having endured all of the indignities, insults, and abuses possible for an armed bully to bestow upon them, to be so soon forgotten, does not speak well for our government or the American people. Those words meant so much to his fellow survivors, but the nation did little to remember for the next 50 years. Monuments and historical markers remembering the Sultana and her victims were erected in each state that lost soldiers. On the 150th anniversary, the Sultana Disaster Museum opened. It features a few relics, along with an entire wall decorated with the names of every soldier, crew member, and passenger known to be on the ill-fated ship on April 27, 1865. The museum is in Marion, Arkansas, the town closest to the remains of Sultana. 
after the ship disappeared beneath the muddy waters of the Mississippi, Sultana was covered with sand and silt. As time passed, she was buried beneath all that mud on the bottom of the Mississippi River. Over the years, the course of the Mississippi River changed just north of Memphis and moved to the east. In 1982, Jerry Potter, a Memphis historian and attorney, set about finding the wreckage of Sultana. Thanks to his archaeological expedition, we know the wreckage of Sultana is buried under an Arkansas soybean field, where it remains today. In their 2009 song, Sultana, the band Sunvolt appropriately dubbed the Sultana the Titanic of the cold Mississippi. Sultana could easily have been forgotten, if not for the descendants of survivors who continue to hold annual remembrances. The Sultana Survivors Association focuses on the great loss, but they also want people to remember the story of Sultana is a story of humanity and how disasters have a way of bringing out the best in people. That was the case with the Sultana, as people on the Confederate side of the Civil War risked their lives to save people from the Union side. As the Survivors Association has put it, in a lot of ways, this represents the beginning of healing between a divided nation and a lesson to all of us that we are all human beings. Southern Mysteries is created and hosted by me, Shannon Ballard. To see photos and sources for this episode, check the show notes at southernmysteries.com. That's also where you can join Southern Mysteries on Patreon and hear stories that are exclusively available to patrons of the show as a thanks for your support of this independent podcast. Thanks to my newest Southern Mysteries patrons who helped make this episode possible. Pam from Highlands Ranch, Colorado, Brianne from LaPorte, Texas, Anna from Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Hunter from Oxford, Alabama, and thanks to Mackenzie, Sue Ann, and Norma from what I'm sure are magical yet mysterious locations. If you want to join in and support this podcast, you can easily do that at southernmysteries.com or head straight to patreon.com slash southernmysteries. Thank you so much for your support of the show. And thanks, as always, for listening to Southern Mysteries. 